With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got an awesome show here today because we've got Greg Cosell from NFL Films jumping on to talk about his player evaluation process. And Greg's opinion, you guys all know out there, is one that I value very highly, how he views players and how they project to the NFL. It's going to be a really fun discussion, just an inside look at how Greg goes into the player evaluation process. Afterwards, Ben Fennell and I are going to get together. We're going to talk about all the draft of the teams that drafted from the NFC and AFC West, so we'll talk about all all eight of those squads, how they did in April, and then ultimately we'll end things up uh, with the draft mailbag. One question from a listener at home. So let's get things started here. Mr. Relevant and Greg Cosell. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, really happy to welcome back to the Journey to the Draft podcast, Greg Cosell, NFL Films Senior Producer. You guys know all the conversations Greg and I have on a year-round basis over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Well, this week, here on Mr. Relevant, we're going to talk all about Greg's evaluation process, what he puts into when it comes to projecting players from college to the NFL. So, Greg, let me pose the question to you. Give us a quick, you know, big-picture look at what your evaluation process looks like and just your overall worldview on projecting college players players to the league? Well, Fran, to me, it has to start with a pretty total understanding of the NFL game and the constantly changing NFL game. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to project and transition players from college into the NFL. That's the point. Now, obviously, you're looking for certain traits, and every position has different traits, critical factors, as some like to call them. But all those things are based on the NFL. So you have to start with understanding what the NFL is. Uh, I don't know what other people do, but if you're not studying the NFL and understanding the changing nature of the game and how that affects different positions, uh, then you really don't have a foundation for evaluating college players. There's a context for this. You're not evaluating college players in a vacuum. Yeah, and that to me is what makes your evaluation process so different from a lot of people in the media is that you know you spend so much time during the football season watching NFL All-22, watching the tape there, and then you're taking that knowledge and you're then transitioning into the college level. And I, and I find it to be so fascinating when you do finally get that time early in the spring to be able to get to that part of the process. It's a lot of fun to get your insight. And honestly, it's something that uh, we talked about last week with Dan Hatman on the show uh, about you know NFL teams don't necessarily always, you know, when you look at across the scope of all 32 teams, don't always have that ability to look at, you know, have all of their college scouts look at what's happening right. in the league and show that ability uh, to, you know, w- what is going on in the league right now, what's changing across the scope of all the positions on the football field, where is the league going, where can you find those guys at the college level. So you certainly bring that level of insight. Well, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. Um, you know, I was very fortunate uh, this week to spend a full day with Al Saunders, who I've known for many years. He's coached in the NFL for 38 years, and, and at this point he's he's retired, um, but he was last in Cleveland for the last number of years. And it's, it's days like that where I really continue to learn more and more about the NFL and the changing nature of it and how it's coached and and 
you know, the different schemes and tactics that are used. And I just think those kinds of things, Fran, are so important to understand. Now, because of what I do and because I'm, I'm the executive producer and now on-air talent on NFL Matchup, I spend seven months, eight months out of my year solely focused on watching NFL tape. So I may not watch as much college tape as some others do, uh, but you also hit on something that, look, I, I don't view myself as smarter than anybody else, believe me, but I've been going to the scouting combine in Indianapolis now for about 20 years and have talked with a lot of scouts over the years and gotten to know a lot of scouts. And I'm always fascinated that college scouts, guys whose job it is to travel the country and evaluate college players for their given team, don't really watch the NFL very much. Now, like I said, I'm not saying, boy, I'd be smarter than anybody else, but I I don't understand that just intuitively and intellectually, because ultimately, what are you doing? You're evaluating players to play in the NFL, are you not? Yeah, and I think all, all 32 teams, and you, you know this obviously, all 32 teams operate differently when it comes no to what you know what they're asked their college scouts to do, how much they get, you know give them that experience, and that's one of the things uh, that I think that the the Eagles do a great job of is making sure that their college scouts are incorporated into the pro process, into the self evaluation process. You know, helping you know, there's a lot of communication between both sides. Like I said, we talked about that with Dan last week, but when you look across all 32, I don't think you could say that is the case with every franchise in the league. No, and again, I don't know the case with all 32, obviously, and I'm not trying to make a judgment that it's right or wrong. Uh, It's just the way I see it, just from doing this for years and years, is it starts with the NFL. That's where you're projecting players to play. Now, we all know that what you're trying to do is make your team better. So if you're the Eagles, for instance, and, and let's say you're, you're looking at um, you know the cornerback position. I'm just throwing this out. And you decide that, hey, we want to get better at the cornerback position. So obviously you're looking for players who are better than the corners on your roster. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make your roster better. But that's also where you have to get an, have an understanding of the specific schemes that a team runs. In other words, you're trying to find players who are going to be better in the context of Jim Schwartz's defense. What is he looking for? What kind of players does he want that he believes m- makes his defense work? You know, you're always then looking, you become team specific as well. All right, so Greg, take us a little bit more micro here. You're getting ready to watch a player for the first time. Take a, give us a peek behind the curtain. What goes into your process in terms of selecting which games you're going to watch, how many games you want to watch on a guy? You're getting down to watch a player for the first time. What do you do to get ready? Well, what I particularly love, Fran, as you know, is when I'm seeing a guy and I don't really know much about him. Now, that's harder and harder these days just because of the influx of social media and the proliferation of it. Uh, you know, I don't sit at home on Saturdays during the NFL season and watch college football from noon till midnight because uh, it's really my only day where I'm a little bit off. So I don't necessarily do that. So other than very big names, there's a lot of college players that I don't necessarily know about. So when I'm starting, and it's position-based, okay, obviously, because we all have a sense, and I certainly have a sense based on my study of the NFL, of what kind of traits are necessary to play given positions. But now those traits are also 
I would say, scheme-specific because there's very few transcendent players that could play in any scheme. Think of NFL defense, for instance. In NFL defense, which is so situation-based, there might be 17, 18, 19 players that are part of, of an NFL defensive approach. And all those players matter. Now, some of those players might play 15 snaps a game, but those those snaps matter. So when I sit down and watch a player, depending on the position, I certainly have a sense of traits, attributes, characteristics, critical factors that I look for. Um, and, uh, you know, I sit here and sort of t- do a stream of consciousness in terms of taking notes. Uh, sometimes you see a guy in the first 20 plays, and that's what he turns out to be. Sometimes you see a guy in the first 20 plays, and then you, you say to yourself, boy, I've really got to watch more and more. So I, how much I watch of a player is very often dependent on my sense of him as I'm going through the process. So I try to watch at least three games of every player. Certain positions I watch more. Quarterbacks, as you know, I will watch seven or eight full games of quarterbacks. Um, you know, receivers, I tend to watch targets uh, just because it's a time issue for me. Receivers are not drafted, as you know, based on how they block. I mean, obviously it's nice if they can do that, but at the end of the day, that's not why receivers are drafted. Corners are tough. Corners, you have to sit and watch every play of every game and watch a lot of games. Safety is the same thing. You know this, Fran. You can watch two games of a safety, particularly if he's a deep safety, a post-safety, playing against spread offenses. You could watch two games, and he doesn't really do very much. Oh, a- so, absolutely. That's all. That's always tough with with those positions in the secondary because uh, you know, especially in today's game, it can be tough to find. You might, like you said, you might watch uh, a pair of games, and there might be a hundred plays in each of those games, and you might have eight plays that are projectable plays. You could say, okay, we can kind of get a sense, but at the end of the day, you're saying, all right, I, I might have to watch two, three, four, five more games before I get a really good sense of, of what this kid's evaluation is. And even receivers these days, yeah. I think, are are a little more. I don't want to say difficult, but you have to dig deeper. Because here's a great example of how the NFL game has changed as well. The NFL game now has become a much quicker passing game. There's a lot more quick game, meaning three-step drops, meaning quick five-step drops. There's a lot more use of of stacks, of of bunches, of ways to get receivers uh, free access. Um, There's a lot of receivers who you watch in college, and they struggle to win versus man-to-man coverage. I'll give you a great example of that. Nikhil Harry was the last player chosen in the first round by the Patriots. Now, when you watch his college tape, and I watched his 2017 tape and his 2018 tape, and he struggled to separate versus man coverage. But now you look at a team like the Patriots. They are so good at creating opportunities for receivers, number one, to get free access, and number two, by the nature of of generating that free access, of winning the leverage game right off the line of scrimmage. So for someone like Nikhil Harry, he's in a great situation where he could end up being a very effective player, whereas if he was asked to line up as an X, let's say, and run isolation individual routes outside the numbers, he would probably struggle. 
I look at the the same way with with Cooper Cup a couple of years ago coming out of Eastern Washington. Number one question I had for him was, you know, how how is he going to beat press coverage? Is he going to have that ability to beat the jam at the NFL level? He goes to Sean McVay in L.A. and they do a great job when he's on the field of being able to get him that free access, keep him protected, where you know defenders aren't able to get contact right. with him at the line of scrimmage. It almost becomes irrelevant the yep. fact that he may not be great at at defeating press jam coverage of quality NFL corners because the Rams are a team as as you and I know from studying them, uh, they first of all, they do a ton of minus splits, which is very hard to play press man. And number two, they do a bunch of, of, of bunch and stack, which is also very difficult to play press man. So you have to think about these things when you watch a player. Um, you know, you're a little different than I am in that, in that you work for a team, but you're also looking at, at I think, in a larger sort of world view. But, you know, offensive line has become very interesting as well. I've become a big believer, and I've had this conversation with a number of people. I think the delineation between right tackle and left tackle is absolutely meaningless in the NFL right now. Uh, first of all, if you look at the NFL, there's so many strong individual rushers who come from the left side of the defense. So that means the right tackle has to block them. Secondly, with the increased nuance and detail and sophistication of pressure packages, pressures come from both sides. It's not just they come from the, the right side of the defense and the left side of the offense. So to me, when I hear people say, well, in the NFL, he'd have to play right tackle. I don't know what that means anymore because I'm sitting here again. It stems from my study of the NFL. The NFL tells me that the delineation between right tackle and left tackle is really not that important. Yeah, I think we can, we, we've had that discussion numerous times. You could, you could say that going back years and years at this point. Yep. Let, me, let me ask you this question, Greg. You've told, we talked about uh, how much time you spend studying the NFL game and, and how that kind of sets you apart. Outside of that, what do you feel are your biggest strengths as an evaluator? Um, well, I would say, again, just not getting into, let's say, position-specific, which we yeah. can get into as well, but I just think my biggest strength is my understanding of the NFL game and then how players would fit that. You know, whether they fit that as, as if you're talking about defense, as full-time players, whether they fit that as situational players, you know, whether a guy who, let's say, plays outside corner in college is better suited to play the slot, whether um, a safety in, in college may be better suited to be, let's say, a, a, a dime hybrid safety linebacker in the NFL. You know, my understanding of the NFL, I think, allows me to have a better feel for evaluating players and, and where they fit in the league. Because ultimately, what you're, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to find a player's strength to see how he fits in the league. Because every player... As I said, there are very few transcendent players, so every player has a flaw or a weakness. You don't want to focus on those as much as what can they do well. Um, When it comes to positions, Fran, just because of of my background and and the people over the years I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time with, as you well know, I had opportunities over the years, going back many years, to spend a lot of time with Bill Walsh. He taught me the quarterback position, so I feel that I have a very good understanding for evaluating quarterbacks, but that's all based on tape study. Obviously, I'm not sitting down with Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke. You know, I, I did get a chance to meet Drew Locke, but I mean, I don't get to sit down with these guys like teams do. And, and, and obviously, for the quarterback position, that is absolutely critical. So everything I do is based solely on tape study. 
And then let's go to the, the opposite side of the coin. What do you feel is your bigness, biggest weakness when you self-scout yourself? Where, where do you want to improve on in your evaluation process? Offensive line, for sure. And I had a great opportunity to spend a lot of time with Paul Alexander this year, who you know well, uh, who you've gotten to know well. He spent 20-plus uh, years as an O-line coach in the league. I uh, spent a lot of time with him. He taught me a lot of the details and nuance, particularly of offensive tackle play. Uh, so as I started watching offensive tackles this year, I felt like I had a better sense of, of what I was watching and what I was looking for. You know, I love. You know, people throw out a lot of cliches when they watch offensive linemen about how they use their hands, things like that. We all do that, but you know, I never felt really comfortable with that, particularly with interior offensive linemen, because interior offensive linemen. You know, I used to get caught up for years in this idea of, of athleticism, and then it kind of struck me, and and maybe some will disagree with me, but in the interior offensive line, you, you know, it's it's a tight space. And you have to battle and compete, and you don't always look pretty doing that. Uh, but still, the whole concept of technique, and look, you've been on the field at the Eagles. I've been on the field at many training camps in my career at NFL Films, and I've tried to watch offensive line coaches teach. And boy, the precision with which, with which they teach footwork, hand placement, you have to have some understanding of that. Um, and, and I always felt that that was not a great strength of mine, and I'm continually trying to learn more. I mean, I remember years ago having the opportunity to be standing 10 feet away from Jim McNally, who was one of the great all-line coaches in our league, and the way he would speak about, you know, literally, if, if a offensive lineman took a step and he was three inches incorrect, he would correct him. You know, I mean, so sure. you have to have some understanding of that. You don't have to know it in extreme detail, but you have, have to have some understanding of what those kinds of things mean. So you mentioned that you spent a lot of time with Bill Walsh you know, earlier in your career. Who are some of the other pl- the people that really influenced you and your kind of your outlook on projecting players from college to the league? Um. Well, it's funny because I don't necessarily sit, you know, with guys and say, hey, let's talk about that. But I spent a lot of time with coaches. I've been very fortunate who have come into NFL Films and sat with me and kind of explained um, sort of the NFL game, both from a schematic standpoint in terms of, let's say, coverage concepts or pressure concepts, and then what you look for in given players so they can execute those concepts. But, I, you know, I, I haven't necessarily sat with guys, you know, in terms of, let's say, studying um, college tape. I've done that somewhat, but it's been much more focused on the NFL game. So, like I said, that's that's where I start. What would you say, are, and this is a conversation you and I spend a lot of time talking about, uh, what are some things that you think, you know, you and I both in the media side of things, obviously not in the league, what are some things on this side of the coin that you feel get talked about a little bit too much, and then what are some areas that you don't think get talked about enough when it comes to the evaluation process? Um, I would say that, that what probably gets talked about all the time, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, is is traits of a player without a context and and i think that's where i struggle i mean it's always easy to say that a guy is is you know whether he's quick he's fast whatever or, or what he's lacking i think a lot of guys probably can do that um but then the question is how do they transition and project to the nfl that i think is not talked about as much because that to me is ultimately the goal um you know, from a draft standpoint, uh, and, and you and I have had this conversation many times, um, 
yeah, I always totally uh, am bothered by when people say that that someone reached for a player. You know, and, and this year, what was the number one guy that that was talked about was Daniel Jones. Sure. Now, whether you and I think he was the sixth best best player in the draft is, is not relevant. Um, but I think that, you know, people do that all the time. And all they're doing is they're saying, here's what I think of the player. So therefore, I think the team made a mistake. That's all. That's what people do. They evaluate players in their mind. And then when a player gets drafted before they think he should, they say the team reached. It's just based on what they think the player is. They have no idea what another team's draft board looks like. I always try to take the perspective, Fran, and and I know you do as well because you work for a team and you know how hard people work. I always try to look at it from a team perspective and think, okay, what do they see in the context of how they want to play? Like I know Dave Gettleman, for instance. I know the way he sees the game. People can debate whether he sees the game rightly or wrongly, although you could also argue there's no rightly or wrongly because there's many ways to win in this league. But he sees the game a certain way, and he sees players within that framework. You know, Doug Peterson and, and, and Joe Douglas and, you know, whoever's making the decisions for the Eagles, they're the same. They see the game a certain way, and they evaluate players within that context. And that's something, you know, Ben Fennell and I have been doing this on the on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll do it in the next segment. We've been doing it for the last couple of weeks. It's just kind of looking around the league. Every All 32 teams are happy coming out of this draft, right? All 32 teams say, hey, we did a great job. We thought we got a lot of really great players. So regardless of everyone's draft grades in the media and, oh, this team got a D and this team got a C-, minus, everybody feels like they did a good job. So why do they feel like they did a good job? Everybody, well, feel, that's, the, that's the thing is everybody, yeah, feel, everybody I, likes what they did. Look. You and I both know that not every team gets the players that they ideally want. Look, there's times when you might have, you know, a pick in a certain round and you're really hoping that such and such a player is going to be available when you pick because you really want him and unless you'd make a trade, but if you don't make a trade and then that player or the or the two or three players that you really wanted get drafted before that. So then you have to go to the next guy on your board. So Every team is not necessarily drafting the exact guy that they wish they could draft. Um, You know, when a team trades up, like the Eagles traded up to get Andre Dillard, the Eagles clearly wanted Andre Dillard. So there's a case where they made a trade because that's the player they wanted. Um, You know, then when you get beyond that second, third round, you know, you don't because we don't know what teams' boards look like. You know, so that that's what I always struggle with the way that stuff's presented in the media. No one. You know, you know, unless you're given the opportunity, and I know some more and more teams are being a little more out front with with showing you know their their war rooms and things like that. But unless you know what a team's draft board looks like, you don't know exactly how they see players. Yeah, to me, it's just I really enjoy the process of just understanding all 32 teams, or at least trying to understand all 32 yeah, teams, and with the lens with which they're looking at players, and they're trying to build their roster. That, that has always been a part of the NFL that, it, that has caught my attention. It's been something that I, I love following is the team-building aspect and understanding you know, how all 32 teams tick. I love that. And, and see, because, look, you and I both work very hard, and I'm not suggesting other people who, who study players don't work hard, but I know how hard I work both with the NFL and with college, so I know how hard teams work. Yep. So I give teams the benefit of the doubt. I don't, uh, you know, just because I may not love a player, okay? I'll give you a perfect example. I don't know how he's going to be in the NFL. I didn't love Arcega Whiteside as much as the Eagles did. That doesn't make me right or wrong or the Eagles right or wrong. They evaluated him a certain way. 
I kind of went back and, and took a look at him again after the Eagles drafted him and could say, okay, I see what they see. I didn't quite evaluate him that way, but oh, I get it. I, I get what they probably saw, and you know, and time will tell. I don't immediately take the approach, oh, the Eagles reached, and that's a terrible pick. I never think like that. I actually think that people who work their tail off at this stuff probably know what they're doing, which doesn't mean that every draft pick is great. It's still human beings evaluating human beings. So, you know, but I try to put myself in, in the team's perspective, in the team's point of view, and why they do what they do, and then try to get an understanding of that. Yeah, there, there's a reason behind everything, and that's one of the parts of, of your process that, that I always enjoy is you look at it through that lens. Well, Greg, uh, a ton of knowledge here. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here on Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Appreciate it, Fran. Thanks. Well, just great stuff there from Greg, and I hope you guys learned as much as I did. And if you want another opportunity to learn more about the game, especially if you've got a young Eagles fan in your life, then I would ask you to check out the Eagles Football Academy. The Eagles Football Academy offers hands-on coaching and instruction for football players between the ages of 7 and 16. These are one-day clinics that are held down here in South Philadelphia at the NovaCare Complex. They feature non-contact drills led by some of the top high school and college coaches in the area, as well as appearances by by Eagles players, cheerleaders, and swoop. Summer clinics are filling out fast, so visit PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash Eagles Academy to sign your son or daughter up today. I promise the Eagles Football Academy an outstanding experience for the young Eagles fan in your life, for the young football fan in your life. You may live in the area, may not be an Eagles fan, but want to learn more about the game, I ask you, I implore you, go check that out. It's a really awesome experience. It's really well done right here at the NovaCare Complex. All right, let's get into our next segment here. Draft Buzz, Ben Fennel and I are going to sit right here at this desk and talk about the eight teams in the NFC and AFC West, kind of like what we just talked about with Greg. How are teams viewing their draft classes? They're all seeing things through a very specific lens. Let's look at that lens with Ben. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, back for another week here on Draft Buzz is Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. That's two N's, two L's. Two E's as well, but not connected. Oh, that's, I didn't yeah. even think about that. I've been saying that for like months now, and I haven't thought two E's. Um, all right, let's talk about the NFC West, uh, a division that had more draft picks this year than any other division. Did you know that? I did not, but not, looking not at this know. list of draft picks, it is <laughs> definitely full. Uh, we'll start with Arizona, who obviously had the first pick in, in each round of this draft, and they start things off with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, and you know, it's going to be a fascinating offense to watch. You know, you look at... What they already have with Larry Fitzgerald, uh, David Johnson, you throw in Kyler Murray, you throw in Hakeem Butler, you throw in Keyshawn Johnson. I'm fascinated to watch this team play. I'm really interested to yeah, watch Yeah, when you look play. at the skilled players, even like a Christian, Christian Kirk. Kirk. I love Christian Even a talented Kirk, yeah. guy like a Kevin White, who's a former top yeah. 10 pick of the Chicago Bears, and even a Malachi Dupree who can jump out the building as a fast kind of height, weight, right. speed receiver. I don't know what they're doing on the offensive line, but I'll tell you what, they're going to dominate every seven-on-seven clinic over the summer that Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury takes them to. And I think Kingsbury just wants to install his whole you know, air raid scheme. In order to do that, you better have some weapons and some playmakers on the perimeter because it's not all shot plays, a lot of spacing yeah. concepts. We need players that can make plays with a ball in their hand. And I think you have a interesting hopper of players in all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, Andy, Andy Isabella in there from the second round. I mean, well, you just put Isabella, Butler, and Keyshawn Johnson next to each other. All different shapes, sizes, abilities, yeah. speeds. Just kind of interesting group. But Keyshawn's more of the possession receiver, but yep. a great receiver. Uh, Hakeem Butler, tall, looks like the basketball player, but a 4-4 player. Andy Isabella, 
probably looks like a soccer player, but he's a 4-3 player and a great slot receiver. So interesting kind of mix of, of styles. I feel like Kevin White, you brought up Kevin White. I feel like he could have, I mean, if he stays if he's healthy, I mean, he, he could have a little bit of a resurgence. Remember, he comes from, uh, you know, from an air raid system at, in college. So if the terminology, and I, we have no idea how the terminology is going to be, if, he, if he's going to be changing a lot, Terminology could be the same. It could be kind of uh, an apples to apples for him. And for these types of players, there was a reason why Kevin White was a top 10 pick. Yeah. He has some ability. He has some speed. He has an explosive element in his game. His career in Chicago obviously didn't go as planned with injuries, injuries and things yep. like that. Those are some aspects of the player that you don't really know what you're getting until you get them. And their coachability and how they handle injuries and their practice ability. You know, some guys, you know, kind of and don't find their way for those first two, three years of being a professional. I hope a change of scenery yep. uh, really does him well. Watching the Broncos the last few years, uh, then that defense, Vance Joseph previously with Miami, Cincinnati. Uh, what are your thoughts on Byron Murphy, uh, the first pick of day two, fitting in with Vance Joseph and the way he wants to play? You know, outside? very interesting cornerback group of the draft. You know, yeah. a lot of people had Greedy Williams as one, and he fell, and Byron Murphy, you know, people question his ability to play a press man scheme, being yep. undersized, and you know, being more of a four-five, four-six corner, but I think he'll fit in well there. And they address a lot of needs in free agency, bringing in some vets like Terrell Suggs, Jordan Hicks from Philadelphia, Robert Alford, yep, uh, from sure. Atlanta. It's true, a lot of veteran players. I like them bringing Zach Allen from Boston College. That yep. I think could play some heavy edge for you, kick into three tech. So a lot of interesting players on this defense. I think it's going to take uh, you know him just a, another year to maybe get the bodies that he wants to. Uh, to implement so we'll go to san francisco now who had the second pick and to me had the easiest one-two punch to predict going into the draft like you kind of thought everybody all right nick bosa if he doesn't go number one he's gonna go number two and i feel like penciling in debo samuel at 36 overall to san francisco just made way too much sense yeah, they have a very fun group, just like Arizona. I don't care what they have on the offensive line. I just want to see these teams compete in seven-on-seven seven, right. flag football clinics. But for them to bring in a Tevin Coleman from Atlanta, and hopefully Jarek McKinnon's healthy, and you know, Pettis is healthy in his second year, and Marquise Goodwin's got the speed. You had Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd. I'm not We're going to sure. see some 20 personnel. No We're question. Right you might see some 30 personnel, yeah. maybe some 40 personnel yep. with Juice Check and uh, all those guys out there. Can't but about Juszczyk. Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, man, these are two players without positions. They yeah. made plays all over the field, whether it was running back or wing or slot or outside or returner. These are just the type of players Kyle Shanahan wants to get his hands on and use in his offense. Very exciting to see how he's going to deploy all these players. See, I saw Jalen Hurd kind of like a, a Trey Burton type. Interesting, yeah. I know, obviously, the 6'4", 220 running back at Tennessee didn't look like the you know right mold sure. of running back. He goes, ends up being a heavy slot player at Baylor. Left a little bit of question on where do you play him in the NFL? Is he that wing move tight end? Can he be an outside the numbers receiver? Do you move him back to running back? I think those are all in the conversation for Kyle Shanahan. What he got are two great football players. So now let's just see where we use him. I bet you he touches the ball as a runner a couple times a game. I would not, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Seattle. Another team had a boatload of picks. Uh, start things off in the first round uh, with LJ Collier out of TCU. Yeah, interesting player. Obviously, his stock shot up after that Senior Bowl week where yep. he had some great reps inside and outside, more of a heavy edge, but he's a power rusher. Which that, fits Seattle to a T. No question. All the top guards, whether that was Dieter or Chris, Chris Lindstrom, he really rocked him off the ball on some bull rushes yep. and really opened my eyes to him to go back and watch that TCU tape. Um, 
So I think that's just a perfect Seattle pick and having those players that could play inside, outside, like the Michael Bennett's of the world. And if you think Russell Wilson's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, they got two great deep ball threats in DK Metcalf and Gary Jennings from West Virginia. And if you say all they can do is run, that's okay because that's what they want to do in Seattle and they like airing that ball out outside the numbers at Russell Wilson. We're going to talk about Baltimore next week, but I think this is kind of similar to what Baltimore's strategy was where, hey, we're a run-heavy team. We want speed on the perimeter to keep defenses honest so Absolutely. that, hey, if, uh, you know, if we do want to run the ball and you want to roll your safety down or play single high, we're going to make you pay. No and, question. And you throw in even the speed from Travis Homer. If Travis Homer is a six-round pick out of Miami, if he can make the team, he makes that team faster as well. Yeah, no question. It's still working in with the Tyler Lockett of the world, and they have some intriguing players on that offense. Like you're saying, though, you want to roll that safety down and play single high, it's buyer beware on the outside because they have guys that can run and fly for you. And Marquise Blair's got some flashes of Camp Chancellor. Absolutely. He's, he was a fun player at Utah. Yep. All right, let's go to the Rams, last team in the NFC West. Uh, no first-round pick. They do trade out. Um, but There's you, one thing with Seattle. It's kind of interesting as well to yeah. see kind of the pockets that they stay in because you see Utah, Utah. Oregon, Washington, a lot of those Pac-12 yep. players going to Seattle. So it's, you know, not when to put it past a team to kind of stay in their backyard and know a little bit more about the players, you know, in, sure. their, re- in their region. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll look at the, speaking of Washington, uh, the Rams take Taylor Rapp, the, the safety, uh, out of Washington there with their first pick in the draft, 61st overall. They add Daryl Henderson in the third round. Um, very interesting pairing there with Todd Gurley. Uh, overall, just looking at this 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 group of players, uh, overall thoughts from the Rams? Yeah, I like the Daryl Henderson pick. If you want to take some reps off of Todd Gurley and try to keep him fresh and maybe you know prolong him later into the season as we saw uh, you know the tread started to build up into the playoffs last year. Him running routes down the rail, like out of the backfield? No question, I yeah. I like that. Um, but when I look at rap, I also was a huge fan of David Long out of Michigan, who I thought was the best press yes. corner in this yeah, draft. Like but yep. when I look at rap and I look at Long, and then I look at their defensive back room, you got Akeem Talib, Marcus Peters, Nikel, you know, Roby Coleman. Yep. They brought in Eric Weddle and John Johnson's the other safety. I'm not really sure where Taylor Rapp and David Long fit in here. They mm. might be taking redshirt years, and they're Remember just right? kind of depth players, and that's okay. And then it'll be kind of a changing of the guard after 2019, but injuries happen. Depth will always be tested, and I think they're in great situations to come in, learn, and there isn't a lot of pressure on them to step into a starting role and be an impact rookie. And I think the same can be said about the two offensive linemen. They took Bobby Evans and David Edwards, two guys that have ability, they have athleticism, that you have tools to work with, but just some physical development. They exactly, not necessarily ready and it's not a major in. need at this yeah. moment. Uh, you know, with their tackles, they think they still have Andrew Whitworth out there, Rob Havenstein at right tackle, so uh, nothing they need to plug and play. You and I were both very, very excited to see uh, our friend Mike Mayock in his first draft and see how he would do, and came under fire with that first pick. And but then this is what we're kind of the point of this conversation is. What is the what is the team thinking? What is what is the thought process behind it? So if you look, all right, first you know the the first pick, fourth overall. Oh, they took Cleveland Farrell. What were they thinking taking Cleveland Farrell? And then you see, okay, so you look at the the guys they add after it: Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abrams, Foster Moreau, Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby, Trayvon Mullen, Isaiah Johnson. All these guys, high character, hard workers, glue guys, like guys that are going to fit a culture that you're trying to build, and then you say, okay, now I kind of get it. Now I see what the thought process is here with this from a big-picture standpoint. And another thing, a lot of seniors, a lot of guys that have played a lot of football, experienced players, not a lot of these redshirt sophomores, and you're hoping for upside. No, we want to be sure what we're getting. And 
I always liked Clean Farrell a little bit more than maybe a Josh you do, Allen. You've always been a big fan, yes. You know, I thought he was just a solid, reliable player. Maybe he didn't have that sexy upside or the flashiness of some of these other, other edge rushers, but this is a three-down player you don't have to worry about in the run game. He'll maul tight ends. He'll collapse the pocket and get after quarterbacks uh, when he needs to rush the passer. So he was someone that... When I saw Clean Farrell at four, I said, okay, that's a good pick right there. I wasn't so much questioning and saying, oh, what a reach. I said, Mayock got a great player off the edge, yep. and they really need those foundational players. Like, I would have loved Cleveland Farrell to fall, but uh, he goes number four, and you're like, yeah, like he's a good player. No <laughs> question, yeah. He's a good player. He was for a long, long time. And obviously, um, they spent a lot of money in free agency. Yeah. Uh, you know, going and getting Trent Brown from New England and LaMarcus Joyner and Antonio Brown and Vontez Burfick. So when you start to address those needs in free agency, it alleviates the pressure on draft day. And you could suddenly see where's the board and let's just take the best players there. And I think that's uh, that was kind of the formula with Mayock. A pick that also made a ton of sense. Josh Jacobs, just from a, an X and O standpoint, you know, obviously he's the kind of guy that Mike likes. But then also, John, uh, John Gruden loves those big physical backs, those guys that are that have are violent finishers and you know look to kind of punish people uh, defensively. That's Josh Jacobs. Yeah, and they he's got Doug Martin hard. over there. He's just almost Marshawn a clone, Lynch, clone yeah. body type of yep. him. So hopefully, someone that can kind of groom him into the uh, professional game. So a ton of picks there for Oakland. Not as many picks for Denver uh, in this draft. What, what were your thoughts? It's an interesting group because. You know, you got Noah Fant, athletic upside. Dalton Reisner, not a ton of upside, but you know what you're getting. Drew Locke, they get a potential quarterback of the future. Draymond Jones went much later than I would have expected. Justin Hollins tested very, very well. I don't know much about Jawan Winfrey, the, the sixth-round pick at receiver, but an interesting group. Yeah, I'm not really sure where you know the fate kind of lands for the 2019 Denver Broncos. I think this mm. team is very much in transition. I think Vic Fangio is going to need a, another year to kind of get his scheme in, get his players in, and start to turn this roster over, figure out the quarterback position, whether it's Flacco, whether Drew Locke is the real deal or not. So I'm not really sure where they're going to be competing in 2019. I like bringing in Bryce Callahan, Kareem Jackson in free agency. I like Dalton Risner. I like him. He's nasty. He's going to fit in with Garrett Bowles and some of those other guys in the offensive line there. I just don't know about the collective talent of the roster and if they're really ready to compete in 2019. There's some nice pieces. I like Noah Fan. I like Draymond Jones, one of the more explosive upfield yep. pass rushing threats uh, as far as interior defensive tackles go. Uh, there's a lot of project players. Justin Hollins is interesting, and Juwan Winfrey. But you know, I think did you watch Winfrey. Yeah, I watched him a little you bit. Did. He was a Maryland transfer. Ended up going to Colorado, so they've obviously seen him being a local, uh, a local guy. So it's not really sure about the collective state of the roster, and until they figure out who the leaders on this team are, who's the quarterback, who can everybody look to to kind of you know be the confident leader of this team. I think uh, there's going to be some questions. I think when you look at the Chargers and you look at their draft hall. You can envision very quickly, oh, this is how this guy fits here. You know, you look at Jerry Tillery and you're like, yep, that guy fits for Gus Bradley up front. No and your Adderley, yep, fits right there, uh, you know, in that safety room. You know, you look at uh, Drew Tranquil, Amechi Eggbull, you know, Cortez Broughton. All these guys make a lot of sense. Yeah, no question. They definitely have a type. You know, for some of these Without players, question. and yes. Jerry Taylor, one of the better fits to be a you know an odd front five tech that could probably be a three tech for you in some sub packages. Yep. Uh, Nasir Adderley would be a great compliment to Derwin James. And, you know, Trey Pipkins. I think his football might uh, best football might be ahead of him being a you Sioux Falls him, right? kid. Yes, I did. Interesting player, very much so. Yeah. I think he's got a great upside if he can really develop. And these linebackers that maybe aren't the most explosive side to sideline players, but they're tough. They're downhill players. And I think they're three down players because they don't really ask him to chase a lot of plays out to the numbers there. Uh, 
in L.A. So interesting picks. I think Easton Stick as well, North Dakota yeah. State kid. No question. I don't know what the plan is after Phillip Rivers, but I'm not willing to rule out an Easton Stick, and I'm not ready to count this kid out just because he's 6'1", 6'2". He's played a lot of football, won a lot of games. He's a tough player, commanded that team, played from under center. It's a lot of short quarterbacks in this draft, whether it's Trace McSorley or Gardner Minshew or Brett Rippon. Yep. They play a lot of football. I'm not willing to rule these guys out. I'm not going to be the guy to vote against them or say they can't do it. You know, I'll very much put my chips in their pot as opposed to a guy with that six seven with a strong arm. You just get excited because you can throw it over the moon. I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. So <laughs> I'm not going to rule those guys out. Uh, Jerry Tillery, if he had not gone 28 to the Chargers, if Gus Bradley didn't take him, I feel like Pete Carroll would have taken him at 29. Yeah, it's a good chance. Yeah, right. yeah. And the, obviously, Gus Bradley coming from the Pete Carroll tree. Uh, last team, Kansas City. Uh, they don't have a first-round pick. They traded for Frank Clark. So first pick didn't come until the second round. Uh, Mecole Hardman, they trade up um, and select the wide receiver from Georgia. You know, with all the Tyree Kill stuff going on, we don't even need to get into that. But the, the speed element of Mecole Hardman obviously makes him a, a very attractive option there. Same the style Chiefs. player. You yeah. know, an explosive slot player who's a return threat. He's someone that's going to stretch defense vertically and horizontally with end-arounds, orbit motions, jet sweeps. I think McCole Hardman's a perfect Andy Reid style of player. And Juan Thornhill, uh, this is a team that the reports were in the media that they were very close to signing Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. So obviously they wanted that kind of rangy, center fielding, ball hawk type. Juan Thornhill steps in and kind of serves that role. Yeah, I had a first-round grade on Juan Thornhill. I thought he was a clone to Byron Jones uh, from UConn, ended up being a first-round pick to the Dallas Cowboys, was a safety. They've now moved to corner. Just like Thornhill was a corner in 2016, 2017, played safety last year. He's got the ball skills and the savviness when the ball's in the air. Not really that thumper. He's going to miss some tackles occasionally, but you want him for his playmaking ability on the ball, his coverage ability. You add Tyron Matthew to the back end of that defense. More playmaking you know, ability, more playmakers out there. And obviously they want to get after the passer. Bit of a change in the guard. Justin Houston gone, Tamba Ali gone. You're bringing Frank Clark, you're bringing Alex Okafor, you're bringing Emmanuel Ogba. Some just different blood, some new faces out there on the perimeter. Definitely got younger. And then Colin Saunders fits in with uh, Spags in that, in that no 4 question. Team. And just an infectious, good person. You just want him in, in your locker room. You know, his smile at the Senior Bowl doing backflips. Just gave yep. uh, a new, uh, new father out there. And uh, someone that at Western Illinois really dominated the competition. I'm interested yep. to see how he handles the you know, NFL competition. If he really could end up being a stud, he was a third round pick, but he's got tremendous upside. Solid week of practice down at the, no the senior yep. bowl. Well, Ben, we got one more of these. We'll do uh, next week. We'll do the AFC and NFC North. We'll stay tuned right out for that uh, next week on draft buzz. Always fun to catch up with Ben. And you can remember, check out my conversations with Ben coming up in the fall editions of the journey to the draft podcast. Where we'll be going every single week in our Saturday scouting segment with Ben on the road to all the teams that he visited with. And he obviously saw Andre Dillard, the Eagles' first-round pick, numerous times last fall as we covered in that one breakdown segment a couple of, year, or a couple of weeks ago now. And actually, our, our draft mailbag question uh, is about that podcast. And this is, comes from Write Him on Apple Podcasts. Awesome episode recapping the journey of Andre Dillard. It was great to hear how he progressed, not just in the offseason, but hearing how he did in his matchups during the fall. Great intel, and I loved the conversation from his coach. My one question is with everyone talking about how this pick impacts uh, Halapulavati Vitae and Jordan Mailata, do you think Matt Pryor is more suited to be a guard with Jordan Mailata maybe taking some reps at guard and, and Big V staying at swing tackle since he's already proven to be the immediate backup tackle? 
Right. I think that's a good question. And it was something we talked about actually over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week uh, as well. Look, the, the, the team is going to mix in different combinations all throughout the course of the offseason. We don't know how it's going to look in training camp. We've seen a little bit this spring. They're moving guys around. We've seen Big V at guard over the course of OTAs. And I think ultimately they're trying to figure out what can guys, what can guys do for us. They've always done a good job of cross-training players. We've seen Lane Johnson get reps at left tackle. We've seen guys move inside from tackle to guard. We saw that with Matt Pryor last year during the summer, the guy you brought up. Matt Pryor in his rookie season played both spots in his first summer. I would expect that they're going to continue to work those guys in and out, and not just necessarily all, you know, who's going to play right guard if Brandon Brooks can't play in week one. They're always trying to up that up because, look, versatility, especially if you're a backup it might be the most important trait that you can bring to an NFL offense. If you've got the ability to be a, a swing tackle, a tackle guard, or guard center, to be able to offer backup ability at numerous spots is really, really important. And so it's important not just for the coaches, but also for the players. So you're going to see them continue to mix and match guys, see what they can do at different positions. Ultimately, they're still going to pick the five best players at those five positions and really try and build the best, most cohesive unit going into the 2019 season. So... It's going to be a lot of fun. I do think that we'll continue to see that. And it's a good question there uh, from Wilton Houston, a, a longtime listener to both this show and the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Great stuff from Greg and Ben this week. And thanks to you all, all of you out there for listening here, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, on Google Play, or, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. If you get a chance... Do what Wilton did. Go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. We've got a few weeks here before training camp starts and we start getting into uh, the positional previews and the conference previews. I actually talked with Tony Pauline earlier this morning. We're just kind of chatting about how we're going to do those conference previews here in a few weeks. So if you have a topic that you want to get started or if you want a topic that you want covered, a guest that you'd like to hear on the show between now and training camp, now's the time. Go on to that feed for Journey to the Draft podcast. Leave a comment and let us know what you would like to, who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like to hear us talk about. Now is the time. Let's get that out of the way. So appreciate all of you guys out there for listening. We'll see you next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast.